0: Hi, Sebastian. Welcome back to Air FM. Hi, yeah. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. Uh, first, I looked at your blog, and uh, mm. I will steal an idea from you, because uh, okay. I, I'm working right now on a on, uh, blog engine, and what I thought about is my current blog engine is based on Roller, and uh, there mm. is pagination. And the pagination is always painful to implement. And I said, okay, do I really have to implement that? And uh, I was too lazy. And what I saw in your blog is, you have the first ten you know the first ten items, and mm-hmm. then you can uh click on a button and 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 to 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 see them all yeah. and uh this is a great idea, and, and by the way, this is what I usually uh saying about you know all the pagination patterns. what I always uh, uh said is uh, don't rely on the uh, pagination if there's too much on the screen, just ask to refine the query or fetch everything and this is exactly what right. you did. And I forgot about my own thing, you know, and, and I thought about how, how to implement pagination very effectively.
1: So have you implemented the block by yourself? Yes. And, um, the reason or the way how it is implemented right now is basically just for, you know, legacy reasons. It's, it's still using, um, well, a Java E application, but it doesn't do much business logic. So potentially I could replace it with, you know, like static HTML generator or something. Uh, but it, it works really nicely and, uh, and that's, that's fine. And yeah, about the pagination or the, the fetching. Yeah, that's basically mostly the use case that I do. So either, you know, I want to see the, the latest. Um, the latest blocks, or if I need some like, statistics or how many blocks I wrote in the year or whatever, then I just search for all or get all in the list and then I search for some titles or you know, if I want to know whether I wrote something about a specific technology. So this really helps for me and I don't want to you know, click a lot. So pagination for me is not the best, best um, thing, I
0: guess. My current block implementation actually has both. So the archive, mm-hmm. this is, is very similar to your implementation where you see you know mm-hmm. all, the, all the posts is a static page. Which is pre-generated with uh, actually NAS one. so I will port it to Graal. Mm-hmm. And the uh, other side is a modified or modified. It is uh, yeah slightly extended uh, roller. And the reason is uh, because it uh, I would like to have the statistics. And the new implementation is still going to be Jakarta or MicroProfile. So it's actually MicroProfile mm-hmm. with some Jakarta pieces like uh, Bean validation. And the reason mm-hmm. being is, uh, first, I'm more, more flexible, and with uh, with matrix, uh, I get uh, uh, simple statistics. You know, this is I will misuse the microprofile matrix for stats, which is actually yeah. uh, really convenient. And static page generator is is fine, but you will still need the Apache web server or something. So and so for me, it is right. easier to use Quarkus. It is going to be Quarkus with uh, um, than static page generator. And uh, I have already some you know experience with the load is not a big deal. It never was. So uh, yeah, for this particular case, I don't think we uh, these SP, static page generators will provide us know with uh, w- whatever benefits.
1: Mm-hmm. But you do write your um, blog posts in HTML, right?
0: I'm writing right now still in HTML and but uh, very simple semantic HTML. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, three or four mm-hmm. tags. I thought about Markdown, mm-hmm. but I think I'm with Visual Studio Code. I'm faster with still with HTML. Because okay. what I don't like in Markdown is, for instance, the lists. Uh, uh, if if you write a list in Markdown, you always need, you know, a space between. Otherwise, it will uh, mm. the, the it will it, this takes too much space. So for yeah. me, for me, it is easier to do something like you know with Visual Studio Code. Uh, OL is uh, ordered list uh, than uh, right. uh, five times LI. And then tap, 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 and I'm incredibly fast. So um, I I tried multiple times Markdown. What I do Markdown, I write uh, documentation a lot with Markdown, for instance. Mm -hmm. But for blog posts, I think you are faster with HTML if you have Emmet and Visual Studio Code. Or in your case, IntelliJ.
1: You know Emmet? yeah. Yes, yes. I, I think in IntelliJ, I don't know if it's called Emmet as well, but it's yeah, same syntax. Like you know, like five times something, and then create with some inner content. You can get really crazy and complex with these queries. Mm-hmm. Um, but but just you know, creating the text or even closing the text, that's really helpful.
0: Okay, cool. And uh, are you writing in Markdown? Your posts? Uh,
1: usually in AsciiDoc. Oh, AsciiDoc. I mean, okay, you know, it's, yeah, OK, so, so you've wrote
0: a book. custom engine which converts AsciiDoc to HTML on the fly.
1: Yes, I use AsciiDoctor J. Mm-hmm. Uh which for multiple reasons is not perfect. Uh I, th- I think originally that is, is the issue because they don't officially still have a grammar or something like that. So yeah. how it works is I think it's still written in Ruby. Yeah. And if you want to run it on Java, then it's a JRuby and you know all these modules and things, which can get quite complicated if you want to run it on an uh application server or something like that. So in Wi-Fi, for example, that's really challenging. You have to create modules with JRuby and then you know, this Ask Doctor J and things like that. I think I even still use the Glassfish or Payera version Mm -hmm. on my blog, Mm -hmm. as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Um, So that works, but it's just, you know, like it's not super perfect, straightforward. uh, But once you get it running for me, it was easier to have something where I can write in ASCII doc then, because actually I write everything in ASCII doc. I also wrote my book in ASCII doc or, you know, even some client invoices and things like that. I had some custom scripts where, you know, you can create all these things. So that, that's why I usually write in that's mm-hmm. that's quite easy for me
0: yeah uh asciidoc uh, is is way better than markdown uh, for lists and tables so um yeah. this is actually what I forgot to 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 say is that uh, actually the old the client documentation I wrote was in asciidoc and the mm-hmm. reason were, were tables basically because yeah. uh with markdown they are not that great and uh proprietary and with asciidoc they they are just built in but um asciidoc was uh is is widely compatible with uh with yes. markdown right so they're.
1: This is what I like. It's very straightforward. So you know, you just write a paragraph. You don't think about anything, and it's already valid AsciiDoc. You know, mm-hmm. you just write, and then. You
0: know, How are you storing the, your posts on your on your blog post? Are you storing them? Uh, uh, in Yeah, a database? that's
1: that's interesting. No, actually, I store the AsciiDoc files in Git because ah. for me, you know, that's easy. You know, plain text, and you get all the diffs and everything. And then what my application does, it uses actually it rolls around uh, it runs all the time, and it uses JGit to access that Git repository to just you know like listen for some uh, changes mm-hmm. and then it basically compiles the changes on the fly and I don't quite trust this engine to be like super fast so what I do I store them just in memory so yeah. they get compiled to HTML once uh, you have new entries and then they're just being served from the cache so this is you know super fast and once you start up they, they compile which takes like a few seconds mm-hmm. uh, for all the uh, entries but that's okay I actually do I
0: exactly it, so. the same in um, most of my uh, projects right now so uh, my mm-hmm. invoicing system stores everything in a file Mm -hmm. system using JGIT. And I use the Mm -hmm. Quarkus extension. And I can, uh, there is a JGIT Quarkus extension, and you can actually Mm -hmm. compile it natively. So uh, my entire application is a single binary. So I can actually use uh, a server, like command line tool. So it opens, loads everything to memory. I can uh, work with it and shut it down. So uh, it's a a cool hack, and it worked actually perfectly. So uh, the JGIT extension works good. And uh, for my blog post right now, so for for the engine, I think I, I don't have uh, JGIT involved um, yet, but this is nice for documentation purposes because mm-hmm. you can you now walk through the history and see, okay, right. wh- what I did when. But um, it is going to be flat files and uh, stored in JSON. So the, uh, the, the content is oh, going okay. to be in JSON in as in 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 flat files and it worked with JDK 11 and 14 actually perfectly. Okay, I actually didn't want it to, 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 uh, to talk about uh, block engines right now, but um, I saw your solution. I was curious how you implement that. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, and the heck, I will steal it. That uh, no, I will show the first 10 and then everything, because I have already everything. This is my archives block or something. So there's yeah. a link from my, from, my, uh, from my block engine, and then you will find all, all the things which are statically generated from a database, basically, uh, because uh, the Roller runs, uh, needs a JDBC database. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons why I would like to move out from Roller, because uh, the JDBC database are always a little bit hard to back up. And eyes are files, right? And I don't need yeah, sophisticated, exactly. sophisticated queries.
1: And it's much easier to scale out. You can throw it into you know, like Kubernetes one day if you want to. Yeah, or, you know.
0: exactly. And uh, it, it is a funny story anyway, because I also uh, stored the statistics uh, in, uh, in JDBC database first. It was H2 mm-hmm. and uh, the Derby. And then uh, I, I moved to uh, Hazelcast and then Infinispan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, I had already everything in my blog just for fun. And uh, yeah, it worked well. So what I also saw in a blog that you were actually uh, involved with uh, Neo4j, and I just wanted to, mm-hmm. to ask you why. What was the trigger, you know, to write a couple of videos and post
1: Neo4j? Yeah, that was interesting. So I was in, involved in a um, in a client or a side project in in this, so which used Neo4j, and actually just from talking to people, I see that graph databases in general are used more and more because you know, like of of big data or machine learning, um, when you when you have some let's say advanced querying, where you want to get some more insight about your data, how that connects, then a graph database is really, really nice once you get used to this querying model to you know, like access other data rather than just having everything flat or normalized. Um, so this is a quite interesting technology to begin with. And then I was using Neo4j with Quarkus, which mm-hmm. is also kind of not experimental, but it's not, you know, like Perfect yet. So, for example, Spring supports Neo uh, really, really well, but with Quarkus, there's still some things that can be improved. Uh, so, I was just uh, when I implemented or um, helped out with that, I was struggling with a few things, and I was like, okay, actually, I should just you know share some of that because then if some uh, some other folks have the same um, things that might be helpful. So, for example, what is there? There is a Quarkus Neo for J. Kind of extension, but it's only, or I say only, you know, the the driver or the connecting to the database. You know, like similar like the JDBC. So then you get some health check mm-hmm. and you know databases running and whatever. But what you want in Neo4j is like similar to JPA. So they have this not ORM but OGM yeah. model that you know you can have the same mapping and uh, annotations in your uh, in your data classes, which is really helpful. So you know then a lot of these queries then get already uh, mapped correctly for you, so you don't have to write a lot of uh, like Cypher scripts and a lot of back and forth. And then I said, OK, I definitely want this in Quarkus as well um, so that the OGM um, thing of Neo works with Quarkus. And it does not work in a native mode yet, which is OK for me because yeah. actually most of my Quarkus applications run in JVM mode uh, for a bunch of reasons. Because, you know, then uh, DevOps engineers are more familiar with how to run a JVM and things like that. And they have this, uh, all the structure and also for throughput reasons, which uh, sometimes might be better in the long run. And, um, yeah, there, yes, are, actually, so there is- are
0: actually a couple of reasons not to use the native mm-hmm. mode. Because uh, first, this is the confusion in larger companies. You know? They ask me, no, yeah. it is, uh, no more Java or whatever. So I don't even mention mm-hmm. these, the, the native mode. Because then I say, look, we, can, we can just use your JDK. And, uh, and, and this is the, exactly as, as stable as Whitefly or whatever you had exactly. right now. And if you start with the native mode, then people believe, you know, it's something a, a hack. They need specific tooling, which is partially true. Yeah. Then the question arises, you know, but the GraalVM VM comes from Oracle. What about support? Mm. And uh, so is this is better, you know, not to even mention the native mode. And you get, you know, 50% memory improvement anyway already. So everyone is exactly. going to be happy. And they, exactly. So this is in- interesting. Uh, um, uh, what, what I also saw in larger companies, because people get confused with the native mode. They think there's uh, somehow uh, ne- necessary. And mm. monitoring, right? So if you're running in native mode, this is not as easy to connect with profile or even not yes, possible. Yes. Debug and all, all the stuff. So native mode is great. For instance, for me, I use native mode all the time for command line tools. So I, this is my mm-hmm. hack. And on the server, I'm not using yet because with Quarkus, I already saved fifty percent of memory. So uh, I mean. Is better than enough you know and memory is not that yes. st- I still don't get you know the, the the cost savings factor because memory gets cheaper and cheaper so maybe there are some cases but not not in my, my small world another question you yeah. you mentioned client what
1: you what this means your client is it your freelance client or your IBM client uh, in this case a freelance client so uh, I think I mentioned this before I still sometimes do like some uh, side work uh, which actually makes a lot of sense for my developer advocate, yes uh, work because you know you get like more real world view still and I have like different uh, you know, different type of um, um, input that I get, which is also really nice and interesting. And just, you know, like I just try to balance it from time-wise and to, nope. to keep the, like, open view from the whole, what the world needs. <laughs> this is actually the the uh, the
0: perfect combination, because if you end up being, you know, just the uh, developer advocate for IBM, so in one point of time you will lose track, you know. But if you still spend time with a real-world client, which is independent from IBM... Uh, uh, I think this is the best IBM can get. You get the real world experience, you know, in some training, yep. and and you can you can show real real world stuff. So I always wondered why this is not a default. Uh, the people, the developer advocates or evangelists back then, uh, were not allowed, you know, to to provide some services.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also you know, really depends what technology you're interested in or what your expertise is, right? Mm-hmm. Because I always try to keep it on on the real world, you know, like what. The same technology what, what you're using and i'm not using you know like some type of blockchain or uh, scientific, you know purposes where it's like okay this is interesting maybe to do some research or to see okay you could do something in like five years or whatever but i really want to do the stuff that actually projects needs uh, need as of today and there's a lot to do there just to get something uh, something yeah. done which i find uh, the most interesting because you know then it's Regarding Neo4j, so uh, why I was
0: so, uh, so surprised by your uh, Neo4j activity? Because mm-hmm. Neo4j was uh, very popular on, um, you, you know, the AirHacks at Munich Airport. There were lots of attendees mm-hmm. with uh, Neo4j and questions regarding Neo4j. Okay. And now, but now it's a little bit dry out. So I'm, my opinion oh. is like the interest, the peak was like five years ago. And now no one mm-hmm. mentioned Neo4j again, except you. And, uh, and what we did, we discussed actually a lot Neo4j. And, and what's, mm-hmm. what's funny is just, um, or oh, funny, interesting the neo4j is actually the the architecture or not not the graph databases this is the pro- the graph databases yep. are actually the opposite of document databases this is the interesting right. fact right so uh, if you have a document database you don't care about the relations you care about everything has to be in one place in one document which is the best possible case and in graph databases right. you only care about the relations and the you know the entity themselves are not that important and, uh, and there are interesting characteristics i don't know whether you had the opportunity to look at you know at scaling so with mm-hmm. Neo4j scaling, is uh, way harder than the document databases because you have lots you know, of links between the cluster nodes. And this is where we spend a lot of time discussing that. And, and this is what I found interesting, that the, uh, that the graph databases and the document databases, they have uh, um, opposite best practices, actually.
1: Yes, yes. And I also find it really interesting from the you know, modeling perspective, like how you model your graph, Because especially if we come from an um, object-oriented or like a relational world, then some things uh, really make sense to model them in a certain way where we would not initially think of it. So, for example, if you say you write, I don't know, like a task management program where you have a lot of tasks that are um, sorted by day or something, then you would just say, you know, look, you have a uh, task that has a date or something like that. And in the database, it really makes sense to say, okay, you create a node, which is just the date, you know, like today's date. And then uh, from that, you have relations to all the tasks just for the um, querying model that you say, OK, give me all tasks of that date. And if you have millions of um, tasks in there, it's super, super fast to just, you know, like take that single date, which is um, where you have an index, and then you get all the tasks like, you know, on on this, which which really makes sense if you think about it. But uh, I would say I had a few of these moments where initially you wouldn't think of it if you come from this other world, where it's like, okay, yeah, now since I am in this database, it really makes sense. Although at first it's, it sounds weird, you know, to have like an entry or a node for something like a date or for something like a like a type where you think this is not my entity, but yeah. um, but then the database really shines.
0: In relation to database, we had uh, in projects sometimes the problem that the relation, uh, I think it was called... Attributive relations or something like that, where mm-hmm. we wanted to put additional metadata on the relation, which is not possible mm-hmm. in the relational database. And what we always did, yeah. we created a, a, a entity in between with two relation to okay. the other entities, and we can put you know additional information on it. I actually forgot what the name was. Like right. uh, attribute. Like attribut- an extra table,
1: yeah,
0: uh, yeah. But there was like attributive relations or something. What meant you have relation with additional metadata. But uh, the the idea was uh, if you do this, there was always like for instance, uh, you know. The product was rented from from yeah. two, and this from two yeah. was in between. And if you have a lots of such a stuff in relational database, it means with Neo4j or graph databases, it would be a way easier to implement something yes. like this. And uh, whatever we have, you know, as a database, as a join in Neo4j yes. is a first uh, first class object. So the joins are exactly. actually the entities, and the entity bees do not matter that much, right? So the data in the entities is not as important as the links. So what I think about, you know, if you would implement an, um, a navigation system. Then the cities would be the nodes, but the links are the roads, and they are the most important right. things because we would have you know the attributes like speed probably and you know the congestion right. or whatever you can imagine on the roads. But city would be probably uh, a just you know the name and probably population if, if you would like to be, to display or, or weather or whatever. this is actually not that relevant to the to the application right.
1: Right, and then if you have some more, you know, sophisticated queries, what I found out at first, if you come from this relational world, you're like, oh my god, this query will be like super complex, like you know, give me all cities that match a certain criteria, and so on and so forth. And in Neo4j, you, this can be solved with two lines of Cypher script, right? When you write like um, this, this relational query with these arrows like twice, and then you're like, okay, done. And in SQL, you would write, I don't know, you need a SQL expert with a black belt of you know writing <laughs> writing okay. database code.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. Really helpful. If you have the if you have the uh, tables in between, you know, all the queries are mm-hmm. going to be really hard, yes. and and it's really yeah. r- really hard to. Think um, the question now: Why you didn't use you know Neo4j as a backend for your blog? Because uh, just just as an experiment, you know, you could use the posts and all the attributes and tags could be actually the links to the posts, right?
1: Interesting. I actually didn't think of it. Um, probably you could. I mean, ultimately, it's just a database like uh, any other. The the question is if you would have. Like probably if there's the necessity, right? Yeah, I but is-
0: necessity. What I'm thinking about about the visualization, mm-hmm. what we mm-hmm. could have in such a block engine is, uh, let's say we have a topic like um, microprofile mm-hmm. corpus. So you could have a oh, okay. corpus, the, the tags, and, then and, 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 to and them from from the visualization. We could mm-hmm. use 3D, 3DS D, three or whatever, you know, yeah. and then pull the corpus and you will see the links to all the blog posts as nodes, and you can click on them, you know. Yeah. You could have an ex- ex- nice. yeah, experimental like this cloud visualization. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. What we had, at the, I saw at the beginning of Java, so they were like, like, you could pull something, and it came. So, like, sus- suspenders and you know, yeah. the suspending nodes links to the topics just for the visualization could be fun because we we you could have dates with date is not that mm-hmm. but month for instance right so month yeah your links to all the month then topics tags and some tags, so, yeah, yeah yeah exactly and even relations uh between the will we you know part part one the yes series, actually, yes right uh, Is a different views to the same thing and uh even you know yeah so i just or videos you know you have lots of screencasts and videos can okay? have a video tag all uh video mm-hmm. podcasts this could be actually great i don't think about that much because my block engine is almost done. So, right now I'm a little bit um, overworked, but uh, I will continue. So, if I think about this, I will probably rework it with Neo4j. will never done. So,
1: um, that'd be nice. Yeah. You could have a look. There's a nice Neo4j browser. Like, um, if when ah. you start up the database, maybe you've seen it. So you can, um, like mm-hmm. 7474 or something like an admin interface and it, it starts up. And this is really nice just to explore. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the best feature of the database because, you know, initially, if you start out with the cipher scripts, it's really hard to, you know, like get started or it takes some learning curve. But, um, the fact that you can just um, throw some notes into your database and then you can visualize them and you drag and drop them. It's, and it's really visual. Like you say, you know, you see all the arrows and the nodes. Um, so this is really cool. Um, a Neo4j browser, I think it's called, and I'm pretty sure you can use some of these like plugins to display, to connect to your database, and just display it for some users, right? Yeah. Like as a you know view only face uh, to say, okay, this is my my current view, and you can click and expand and whatever and drag them around. So I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a yeah. nice idea. Yeah.
0: Uh, so if we had more time, it's the only problem we should investigate yeah. that. So another thing I, I, I found mm-hmm. you were interested in Istio, and no more recently. So and. I think it's also dry out a bit. I got lots of questions about Istio. And even, I think, in one of the uh, IBM conferences, I invited one of them, and someone asked, you know, what is my opinion about um, mm-hmm. API gateways? That was the first one, and the other one was the uh, service meshes. And mm-hmm. I always, you know, ask why you would like to know it. So, what is your problem or killer use case? And I actually, so far, never got, you know, a proper use case. And then I introduce always my use case. Uh, service meshes are great for distribution mm-hmm. of certificates or, or encryption. Yeah. This is actually it comes out of the box. And and but you know the idea that I'm uh, just using localhost to communicate to other nodes. It in my cases, it simply doesn't matter. I have to say mm-hmm. whether I use your proper mm-hmm. name or the even the localhost is more confusing because yeah, I have to to document you know f- w- w- which service I would like. To, I'm talking to. But if I use you know semantic names like uh, ordering. Then it, then this is self-documenting, so it's even worse yeah. with the local host. What's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, so um I had actually a few uh, projects and few like um clients or occurrences uh, where I would say it becomes a little bit more mature, or at least I've, I've seen some use cases in real world. But like you say, it's usually like you, um, using Istio on top of something existing. So you don't, you know, use it for some crazy complex routing or some discovery or uh, measurements. It's usually like you say, either certificate or in general to include um, authorization like OAuth, which uh, is also supported. And then, you know, you have it everywhere in your cluster, which is quite nice. So then, you know, you configure it via these, uh, I think they're called policies and things like that. So I've seen this where people then used you know like some existing kubernetes um infrastructure to say okay now let's build this on top of it uh, or sometimes actually for traffic management if you say you have it already maybe for these purposes so then it's easier you know to do some routing for one or two services where you have to i don't know like two different subsets or something mm-hmm. of a service so uh, I don't know about uh, about how you see it in your project I see that it gets a little bit maybe not mature but or yeah mature as well and also like accepted so I've seen some projects that actually use it also in a production like setting mm-hmm. um and who were specifically asking for um like you know some some training or support or hey how does it work actually but it's usually very limited use case yeah. so it's like you know developers have something existing and most actually don't care And there's like one or two uh, person in the project who either knows about it or has some half knowledge already and then says, okay, how can we just do the security point of view or the certificates or OAuth or something? And then it's usually done. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, please include our um, OpenID connect or whatever. And then, you know, it's finished uh, something or the the traffic management. So This is like my view, how I see it. So I think maybe a little bit like Kubernetes was in the beginning.
0: Yeah but, but but I mean the kubernetes is more or less obvious case because if you have two mm-hmm. if you have you know, 10 docker containers and you yeah. will, uh, t- uh, let's say of 10 microservices in a project is not there that far off so um, if you would like to scale them you have already 20 and you get the load balancer so you would need th- uh, to maintain th- there, 30, yeah. 30 docker containers with HR proxy or whatever and with kubernetes you you have just you know the 10, 10 images and this basically it's odd. then yeah. it is it becomes simpler so this is what i see yeah. with um, istio i think what happened was um, uh, uh, Google was behind Kubernetes, and I think also behind Istio, the first service meshes, right? So was, yep. there was Istio and something else. So what was the Istio? And uh, there was the uh, compa- Linkerd. Uh, Linkerd was from mm-hmm. uh, Uber, right? Or from my company? I think so. Uber or Lyft? Yeah, Lyft, Lyft, yeah. and uh, they they uh, they pushed it a lot at the beginning, and, and mm-hmm. people thought, okay, Kubernetes is future for huge, affo- uh, huge uh, folk is a success, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then. Um, and then we uh, have to, you know, to, to to look at the service meshes as well because uh, it will come. And what I think what happened is that the or what will happen is that the service meshes Istio will just become part of Kubernetes and the platform, so you can yeah. just use, you know, Istio as a Kubernetes uh, uh, a part of Kubernetes without thinking about that. Like yes. you know, Docker was uh, the Docker network is just part of the of the Docker, so you can use it even in production or experimentation. But no one thinks about you know the Docker network as a service mesh, which Partially, yes, but, but this is just, you know, this is also right. the confusion. So I think it just becomes useful, and, there is, uh, and, and you don't have, you know, to, to, to use Istio and then find, you know, uh, to, to, to search for problems for Istio, right? Or problems, yeah. solutions for the Istio, for, uh, for, the, yeah. for, for the Istio, right?
1: which really makes sense because, you know, you have to install it and manage it and all these things. Uh, and also, uh, like you say, um, already from OpenShift, I don't know about the current status, but they already support um, some features yeah. um, from it. So, you know, they basically include uh, Istio. And then, you know, it's that is just like the natural uh, progress, how I see it, that then, you know, the next step would be that the Kubernetes folks say, okay, we adopt some ideas and make it uh, into the like stable mainline branch. And then once it's there, you know, it's like, like some other things evolved as well, like uh, deployments. Uh, who came from uh, OpenShift, I think first uh, the, the deployment config. and then it gets part of the uh, of the underlying uh, Kubernetes layer, and then you know it's mm-hmm. it's great, and that's a good thing because then it's just there. And if you say okay, if you need security or whatever, you just write another YAML and, and you're done. That's good.
0: Cool. And uh, other thing is the monitoring stuff. So people say yep. okay, uh, this is this is one of the uh, most common questions regarding monitoring. If they have Istio, should you uh, know they use. Um, Istio for monitoring, also in, uh, you should use Ecto uh, for monitoring, or they should use uh, MicroProfile for m- monitoring, the uh, MicroProfile matrix, and mm-hmm. uh, this doesn't make any sense for me because yes. uh, mm-hmm. for instance for the for the blog engine, right? So what I did with the matrix is uh, I had like the content provider which reads from the mm-hmm. file, so I, I was interested to know how fast uh, it reads from the file, then the blog post is translated from JSON to HTML, how long does mm-hmm. it take? and where do you know syntax errors because what i can do i can provide a wrong template which causes some 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 mm, errors exactly. and i would like yeah. to see you know the number of such errors and um, and there are two microservices in my block one provides the content which is pluggable and the other is the render engine so what i also would like to see the communication between them and i use open tracing you know to see uh, where the time is spent so okay. with istio you can just monitor you know the traffic which is not a lot so i mean th- this is actually nothing comparing you know what we get with open tracing and metrics for free and um, and i would say the 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 traffic monitoring from istio is more or less you know what the microservice are doing in general and yeah. the micro profile metrics is what happens inside a microservice and all these more kpis and business metrics
1: yeah yeah same it's like i've i've seen this from from people as well that they're like okay it's already there so you know we are done but I see the other way, it's it's like a starting point, right? Like it yeah. gives you some basic idea, okay, there's something happening within your cluster uh, and then, you know, you also have the infrastructure there. Um, so what I used a few times is just um, since the Prometheus or Grafana is then there anyway from, from Istio, I just misuse or use that to also include some other metrics that are um, emitted by, you know, MicroProfile or by the application in general that then gets uh, scraped as well. And then, you know, you can display them as well in a different dashboard or something. And then you have, you know, what, depending what you need, some technical uh, insights or your business metrics and have some different boards but for me it's more like it's a nice helper it's a nice thing that it's already there so you don't have to fiddle a lot with you know like installing and running some components so you can just use them but what it's there out of the box it's like you know it's more a nice starting ground it's not like oh you you're done already it's just like okay you know you have some metrics that's you know you see that something is happening but it probably other than that doesn't help you much uh, from what, what it means for your application
0: yeah it's the same as saying you know um, in a uh Monolithic, let's say monolithic. I mean, one uh, monolith mm-hmm. Jakarta application that is enough for monitoring to just having you know the the web logs from the Apache server to analyze them because exactly. there's the entire traffic. But this is this is this is a, by the way this is exactly the same yeah a comparison right. because uh, in in Istio you will get the traffic between nodes and with one just node and you will just you know scrape the log files from Apache you will get also the entire traffic but it was never right. enough actually right right what you are doing right now so what is your your main tasks right now oh before we do this. Uh, um, the support from Quarkus. So actually, what uh, what I don't got f- is uh, the uh, OGM. So the Neo4j OGM. Mm-hmm. You could just okay. use the library without any extension from Quarkus, and it will work not in developer mode, but it would it would just work out of the box. So it would work as a on Whitefly or on Tomcat, right? So there is no difference.
1: It- it does. Yes. Actually, there were two things. Now it does work in developer mode as well, which is really cool. So that, you know, it's super good for the uh, developer experience. Yeah. It, it did not work in the past. Like now that has been fixed like a few features ago, uh, a few releases ago, because of some class loading issue. Because, you know, like um, the, the class loading in Quarkus, I forgot the name. They, they use like some library or some, some stuff and it collided with what the OGM model does, how it looks up its models from the okay. classes, from your class files. Oh, okay. But now that's be, been mm-hmm. fixed. Um, so now this works both in production mode and development mode, which is really good. And then, um yeah, I mean if, if folks are interested, you can uh, look at that uh, article that I wrote like how to do Neo for j on Corcus mm-hmm. and uh, you know because of the the settings that you do, and then um you need to take care how to build up, yes, you uh, unfortunately still, that's another thing. have to it's not a big deal, but you have to open and close your own uh, transactions. Because mm-hmm. that is not supported yet, you know, like JPA with uh, or the JTA mm-hmm. transactional uh, annotation or in spring, uh, same. So you kind of have to, you know, like typically a one class or something where just do all your business um, um, logic entry points. And then they are wrapped in some uh, in some whatever, some um, Java, Lambda uh, or something where you then um, always um, safely include this within, within a transaction. So you just have to manage them yourself, you know, like similar, like user transaction. But you could write That's, an extension for them.
0: that. This would be trivial, an extension for that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I thought about it. Um, in the Quarkus world, as far as I understood it, uh, folks want um, all the extensions to work on native mode. Yes. So, but you know, it... In order to get accepted, um, or you know, to, to get part of the ecosystem, which makes sense. But then uh, I think from the OGM model, the tricky part is how to look up the classes. You know, like Panache is doing it. So you would have to do more work so that all of it gets basically. Uh, I guess stored in a, a native-friendly way or something with uh, compatible with Graal, and I think this is the blocker. Why there is not not a real blocker, but that that is more work that is required in order to get that uh, OGM module. Yeah, yeah but
0: door. forget about the uh, VM. so you could write your own mm-hmm. extension, and okay. uh, yeah. and this would be because uh, you could hook into JTA and know when the transaction is started and yes. and committed, and uh, then you only will need you know the counterpart of uh, you will have to look up the. Uh, Context from DO4J and say you no know, beginner commit. So th- this was basically mm-hmm. everything. Right. Like right. an interceptor. Or interceptor would be the same.
1: Yes. And actually, since you uh, started to, to ask what I'm doing right now, so one uh, tiny thing that, that I had for Quark is I found, I would say for, from my EE view, it's a bug. Um, it's, it's more like um, there were two bean validation and the other one JSONB. For validators and JSONB type adapters, you could not inject uh, CDI beans because they were not, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, noticed as beans. You could annotate them with application scope, with some scope, like the validator itself or the um, um, type adapter. But, Mm -hmm. you know, in EE, that was not required, right? It simply worked out of the box, and Mm -hmm. you could say... um, I think it's, yeah, it's even mentioned in the spec that mm-hmm. if you say if you have a validator or something and you have a CDI support uh, on your runtime, then it has to work. It has to uh, provide mm-hmm. both. And in Quarkus, it doesn't do it yet because I think it's one of these unremovable things where it gets just shaken out at build time mm-hmm. if it's not detected because it's not known as a, you know, bean or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um um yeah I support I, I submitted this as an issue and then it was like similar thing for bean validation and jsonb and then the guys just wrote yeah hey why not you know provide something there it's uh, it's kind of like trivial actually I never wrote a um a Quarkus extension or these I think that's the build time um mm-hmm. build time phase, like extension or um mm-hmm. tra- um transformers or processors uh, basically and then what do you say with transactions actually the, the recorders same, or, you know, I think similar. right
0: there's they record recorders
1: yeah something like this yes and then um, this would happen at build time as well. So you basically, you know, you can rewrite your classes or say, okay, please put some extra extra sto- uh, scopes on it or, you know, interceptors or whatever. And then what I would do, actually, that's a nice idea, yeah, to look into it, how it works, um, and to look at... I would start maybe with Panache or with the JPA model, how basically mm-hmm. the JTA transactions are done, mm-hmm. and then build something similar where I say, okay, you, you know, whatever, you introduce your own transaction, transactional um, annotation, and then try to process this in, you know, this extra build time uh, scanner. It's you could even before.
0: create a, a generic one, because what you could do is you could produce the context, and the context, you will just require you no know, begin and commit and, and rollback, and then right. in the extension, just rely on that. For instance right and say okay if something has the transactional interface i can just handle that and this could be neo4j or something else
1: oh you mean that it's supported oh that's a good good point it would be kind of i don't know if it's kind of like uh, it's very pragmatic i like this approach that you basically you know like you say you reuse the same uh, the same uh, annotation right yeah um it's it's probably not efficiently jta right because it has like more um, um what's it called, transaction phases and things like that so i don't know if that's fully compatible with what neo does but no, in no, general I, just for, the, th- this, for the th- plain this was my first
0: idea which i didn't this is was uh, which i didn't actually say loudly the next one mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. um if you have in your code something uh just a method which produces transaction mm-hmm. context and this transaction context is either your annotation uh mm-hmm. interface sorry and you uh, uh, or something where you know there are three methods like begin commit and rollback mm-hmm. and this you can use in your extension you know just to say, begin, okay. and then but something
1: could, like a generic transaction. Generic transaction just to start with. Yeah.
0: Um, mm-hmm. This could actually work because uh, the extension has two pieces, like the runtime okay. and the build time. And you could do this in the runtime and in the build time. You can rely on
1: it, for instance, right? You mentioned several times Spring. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of Spring with Spring? Um, actually, not. Uh, so. Um what most people don't know, I've I have done a lot of Spring in the past, but that's now a few years ago. And actually, you know, sometimes rarely when some client asks me, I do, you know, show some Spring. So for example, I had some workshops on um microservice architectures or some, some data, CQRS in general, where it was more about, you know, the architectural part. And then if they ask, like, hey, by the way, we use Spring, like could you do some examples in Spring? And I say, Yeah, of course, right? Because then they are familiar with this, so it does not make sense to introduce yeah. my own stuff or something else. Um but mostly for or almost exclusively for the stuff I do myself. I, I use, you know, like either Java EE or MicroProfile, or then some corpus specific things or plain Java. Um, I mentioned Spring a few times because with Neo4j, I know that the folks are very involved with Spring. So, you know, the Spring support with Neo is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's, it's basically just a pointer to there if, if probably people are interested in it. I think it makes sense to look at, you know, the Spring support of Neo first, like mm-hmm. transactional or, you know, the data model or how it integrates. And then uh, look at that. I think it's it's Spring SDN like Data Network. I, I forgot the name, but, but something like this. So that's that's why I mentioned it. But uh, for me, it's mostly you know like on the still enterprise Java uh, okay. side
0: of things. When what, what you did Spring before we met, the first time or after that?
1: Uh, I would say like during because okay. um, your air hacks and a few other things were basically the reason why I looked into Java EE. So that ah, was time okay. Java five, Java six, and I was like, okay, this looks really cool. And initially, I, I liked it a lot, mostly because of the um, configuration part that you did not need to configure anything, right? Like what I mentioned before with JSONB and CDI or bean validation, it just works, right? You can cross use like some um, annotations uh, mm-hmm. and mostly also because of CDI, mm-hmm. because the CDI, especially scopes and producers, that's that's really powerful. And I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is then why I s- kind of like switch technologies a little bit. So I I was uh, heavily involved. It's now like yeah, many years ago into in some uh, Spring projects where it was like usually Spring on I don't remember which uh, which version, but Spring on uh, Tomcat okay. uh, before Spring Boot was a thing or while this was just being um, starting up. And then I basically you know like kind of like which the technology view a bit. Um, but I guess once you know I, I see the important things is just that you understand the concepts, yeah. uh, right? Like uh, how all of that works and. Uh, how it works in um, like from conceptual point of view, and then it's very similar, right? Like if you I call I, it at auto or at service, or you know, uh, yeah, this is our application I, scope. That's
0: I actually did uh, three or two Spring projects pe- by accident, and w- not okay. not okay. projects. And and what happened was the client asked me, oh, can can you review code for us? Uh, is is Java e code, of course? Uh-huh. And this was Spring, and they didn't knew that oh, this was okay. Spring. Yeah. And uh, and I did the review, and it was actually pretty good project. So. Both, uh, I was actually impressed with the clarity of the code. They so were good developers. But uh, it was still uh, a little bit more code than I would actually... Uh, for, and, and this was uh, more you know, expert knowledge required. They had far more annotations where, for me, the reason was not obvious. And, and then I told them this. And they said, okay, what, what you are doing usually is, again, I'm using Java E, actually, or the micro profile. I showed them micro profile. And they thought, okay, yeah. this is actually really simple and nice. So uh, de- therefore, I asked the you, know, why you mentioned...
1: Were they switching then the um,
0: technology? I, in some projects, yes. Also, um, I get actually a lots of requests. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. re- I'm still waiting for, 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 for one client who would like to switch to... Um, right now, of course, Quarkus because it's hype, mm-hmm. but I just use the hype, so whatever. And, and, and regarding Quarkus, what, what happens right now, even there was one survey in the JAX, you know, the German JAX conference. Yeah. And this was like, you know, what is the most popular framework? And the first was uh, a Spring Boot, I think. Then came... Uh, I think Spring, Spring Boot were both. And then what's interesting, then came Quarkus, Jakarta EE, and Microprofile. Mm -hmm. And I thought, thought, okay, how you can do Quarkus without Jakarta EE or Microprofile? I mean, what are you doing? Is this Quarkus just Vertex? I mean, this is like, because Quarkus, you have have 250 uh, extensions or even more. And I think it it would be possible to use Quarkus without Microprofile and Jakarta EE, but it is a really hard. So what you will have to do is you will need to know just your reactive routes with Vertex. So they, yeah. they, they are they, they are uh, expert applications which are doing just that. But um, for me, a question.
1: It's, uh, yeah, it doesn't make sense.
0: Uh, absolutely, absolutely unproductive. So when I use Quarkus, in all cases, I always use entire MicroProfile. So maybe you know JSON Web Token, not because there is no authentication, whatever. And what it already means, I already have you know. 20, 30 percent of Jakarta E, because I always need CDI, you know yep. JaxRS, B, and P. So I already have a huge amount of thing. And of course, I don't need EJB, so I use request code and transaction, my own annotation, so I use a stereotype, which is almost my stateless. And mm-hmm. sometimes we use bean validations, servlets, for instance, uh, from Java E. So I would say it is almost impossible to do a reasonable application in our way, you know, simple code and so forth. With Quarkus and without MicroProfile and, uh, and Jakarta, but the cool story is if you would combine from the survey um, Quarkus, MicroProfile, and Jakarta, it would be number one. So, um, I, just, yeah. I, and, and, and this is what I what I never understood is you know the distinction, and for me, is Quarkus not that different to Wildfly. So, it's actually the reason why also in many projects people would like to migrate to Quarkus just for fun. They are bored, you know, with. Whatever they had, and they yeah. say, "Okay, we do something new." Okay, they go to Quarkus, and there is almost nothing to do, but they feel better than who cares. Um, so, I think Quarkus is really important in this regard because it, uh, you know, there is some fresh air. Nothing really changed, but there is a little bit, you know, faster and so forth.
1: Yeah, yeah, I am really happy about that as well, and especially the build time optimization. That's that's the real uh, killer feature for the resource consumption, and that it gets just really fast.
0: Yeah, but the build time optimization—I mean, the build and deployment itself—is not that. F- not a lot of faster than Whiteley, I would say. It would probably save, you know, every time one second. But uh Oh you mean
1: if you combine it? Like if you count the the times like for yeah. both.
0: How long how yeah. long does it take to deploy the application to you see results on the screen if you're developing?
1: This is the important metric for me. Yeah, that's interesting because I usually when it comes to developer productivity, I count not necessarily the whole time, but I count a lot like the, the startup from uh, from scratch, from zero, if you have a built application, so once it is built already, uh, right, like your Docker image and then yeah. start a Docker container, yeah. how long does that take? Yeah. And the second that I count is, how long is uh, does it take to have uh, not the, the whole time, but the development turnaround, yes. right? So once you start it up once, and then I'm coding, and, you know, code, safe and uh, yeah. refresh, how long does that take? And then yeah. it helps to have these development modes, like, you know, in, in Corpus or in Open Liberty, and they are super fast if, uh, to say, okay, it takes, like, three four or five seconds to start it up initially but then it's within one second to just save and uh refresh yeah and with that's w- you know for me that's the killer feature because i only have to wait for the five seconds once and then you know i don't care anymore
0: yeah but is with what for instance watching deploy was similar experience mm-hmm. the only problem is uh, i have to uh, migrate the maven embedded to java 11 or 14 it uh, is uh, throw some warning which i hate but uh this is the, mm-hmm. the yeah. maven fault i will probably re- rebuild it by myself but uh it's also a very similar experience, so it's not like there's a huge difference if the project gets larger. But still, yes. Quarkus is faster, so it's not like you have you know to 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 stick with, uh, Jakarta E service because of speed. So Quarkus is still faster, but it's not a huge difference. And there are some clients where I so, so, uh, show them because what happens usually, you know, if the the, the first five minutes they ask me show us something new so they, uh, the clients you know met them every 2 or 3 years and they have some challenges we met again and, and we discussed you know architecture whatever and the first question is show us something new so i show Quarkus. <laughs> and that's okay nice though and some say okay but our whitefly or payara is fast enough the turnaround cycles there is is not worth to do this what else is okay you can save memory and there are extensions and the documentation is nice and the micro profile configuration is actually great and some some are switching and some are not switching which is also a good sign because it means yeah. you know uh, what we did was not that crazy,
1: and it's yeah, and it's good enough and pragmatic, and you know it, it solves the problem, and that's probably the most important uh, thing to say. Okay, you don't have to do something new just for the sake of doing something new. Yeah, and
0: as as um, there's a podcast with Frank Del Porta, and uh, mm-hmm. what he did, this is uh, a Raspberry Pi guy, and he you know, approached me and said, um, could you please you know uh, I would like to talk on your podcast about Raspberry Pi? I was like why not? Uh, mm-hmm. Cool. And he he was a Spring guy, and he asked me about uh, my opinion. I said, hey, look, I, I have no idea about Spring, so I, this is what I, I I could actually look at your code. But what you what you can do, just port your application on Raspberry Pi to Quarkus, and and mm-hmm. then we can you know talk a little bit more because I have more experience with Quarkus. And he did it, and he was actually delighted. I said, hey, this is like uh, Spring, and he he um, posted the uh, stats, and it 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 mm-hmm. started like three times faster than Spring Boot on Raspbi. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. was the not the native mode. It was Java mode. Also the, oh, okay. Nice. So the, and and he posted the, uh, the the thing and and now interesting the reactions were interesting because um, someone on Twitter said, "Who cares? to you know, on um, about view seconds optimizations." But the difference was like you know thirty seconds and and ten seconds. And I say, this is oh, actually funny because we had the arg- <laughs> I <care a> lot. <laughs> yeah yeah, but we had the arguments. You know, Jakarta is bloated and and slow. Yeah. And now Quarkus is so fast. And we you know the uh, and we get you know now the arguments. Uh, it doesn't have to be that fast, or uh, <laughs> who cares about the seconds, or, or who cares about the exactly. view Max, right? And and um, this was as I started with Java, you know, it was Java was slow, and then it was mm. Java really fast? So we got, you know, the arguments. Who cares about that? You just use Scala or Groovy or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. I- even if you know lose some seconds, no one cares, because Java is a system language, way too low level. You remember the arguments back then? I never heard it again. Okay. Like Java is low level system language, and you should lose, uh, use something more higher level, even if it's slower, right? So this is always, you know. Uh, funny argumentation. You, you, What would be cool, you know, to capture the arguments in the time, like, you know, a way back machine, and yeah. then, you know, just reply that every 10 years and see, see you know, that we are actually, uh, it's already solved, and now you criticize the other parts, which will be solved in the next 10 years as we're moving back and forth, actually. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I also see, you know, the same things, like, either people are on the camp where it's like, okay, we need super crazy performance, and then they complain that it's not fast enough, which actually is not true anymore, yeah. thanks yeah. to Hotspot and uh, optimizations and, J- and JVMs. And, or it's to say, okay, I want more, you know, like high level and I want to do is like something, um, alternative JVM languages, Scala or Node.js, you know, who cares about that performance, which is also not true because it does make a difference, at least, you know, when we talk about seconds and yeah. the, for the development experience. And I think for that, Java is in a really, really good, uh, if almost perfect situation of, you know, like in between that you yeah. actually can have both. It's yeah. like really performant, but also, you know, the language is on a, I think, really nice abstraction layer. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, it's low level or anything, right? You can really write readable code. Code and uh, now it's really, uh, really productive. So yeah. That's uh, why I still use it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And this is more and more fun, I have to say. Uh, now with JDK 11 and 14, we get lots of features which are actually really usable. And, uh, and uh, yeah. And, and with uh, Visual Studio Code, I know you're an IntelliJ guy, but with Visual Studio that's Code, true. it's getting you know similar experience like JavaScript. I just you know, open mm-hmm. Visual Studio Code, hack something, close it, and, and it works better and better. So um, I'm really actually uh, more and more fascinated by Java after 25 years which is which is crazy so uh, last question yes. is regarding kubernetes so do you mm-hmm. see that someone is running kubernetes plain i mean they built everything from scratch and just using kubernetes as kubernetes uh,
1: not in projects yeah um not you know like not in production like projects just for the sake of maintainability and um so what's... I mean, what I see is it yeah. is plain Kubernetes, like you know, with uh, without OpenShift, uh, like that happens. Like actually, it's mostly OpenShift. Uh, what I see in yeah, like exactly. commercial mm-hmm. projects, um, but also it, it happens sometimes that I see like some plain Kubernetes. But then it's I think almost exclusively even the managed option, like not just you know like some engineers um, setting yeah. it up themselves, but basically using you know like some cloud environment or some other provider who who does all this stuff uh, for them, and then you only have to sometimes manage nodes and say okay, upgrade now version, and then that's it basically. Yeah. Which I think also make sense because but they you know, use
0: something like EKS or something from Amazon, right? Yeah, Elastic exactly. Kubernetes Service
1: or the, the yeah. Google Kubernetes Engine? Or Google Engine. or IBM Cloud or, you know, like all of them now have like,
0: and, managed Kubernetes. Oh Oh, IBM Cloud. Uh, if, you, if I use IBM Cloud, so what's the name okay. of the
1: Kubernetes installation? You know that? It's IKS, um, IBM Cloud Kubernetes Service. And what you get with it? It's basically managed Kubernetes. Um, mm-hmm. In this, uh, actually, you can have multiple things. So uh, it's really interesting that now I think the most um, like commercial contributors or who are backed by a company uh, come from IBM now for Kubernetes. Oh, no and, more Red Hat? Uh, uh, no, Red Hat combined with IBM or just IBM? I think it was just IBM 40, like um, mainly, like, you know, like just Kubernetes, not the. This is cool because
0: Red uh, uh, Hat was second. If you say you know mm-hmm. IBM is now second, even better because IBM and Red Hat combined they are would probably count first. Double, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is the question. You should investigate that whether you know the IBM committers also Red Hat included or not, because Red Hat was right. always second on mm-hmm. on on the Kubernetes. Okay,
1: cool. Yeah, makes sense. And, um, yeah, what you get, uh, they're actually also the fastest in, um, you know, adopting new versions. So once there's a new Kubernetes version, I mean, now, you know, there's so much included. So most people, as I see, don't care anymore, right? So yeah. we have all the features that we need for normal enterprise projects. Uh, at, at some point, it was interesting for, you know, like to get init containers or whatever, but that has been done a while ago. Um, but they're the fastest in getting new, uh, Kubernetes versions. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can have some additional, uh, features like, you know, you get some, um, like some monitoring board that that pop up out of the box. Like if you don't use Istio, or you can have a managed Istio as well. Um, or now it also supports um, a managed OpenShift, so you can actually get right, cool. uh, like OpenShift clusters, like the managed one uh, from the IBM Cloud. Uh, okay.
0: And if you if you're running the managed um, IBM Kubernetes uh, service, um, mm-hmm. the load balancer is included, the ingress, or you can you can decide. Yes. Or- or, or you the- you
1: can also decide out of the box it comes with a it's called ALB automatic load balancer or something which sets okay. up you know some uh, random domain which then you can use but of course you you know yeah, there are some tutorials how to use nginx or i actually mostly use uh, istio uh, not necessarily because I uh, because I need it, but I've done a few presentations, and yeah. now I just have some, you know, automation scripts to say, okay, create a new cluster and install Istio, and then it, you know, works in a few minutes, and that's that's perfect for me. Mm-hmm. And then I know everything is included, and I can just access it, and and it works. And Docker, and that's, reg- that's really nice.
0: Docker Registry is also ships with own Docker Registry, or you have to is a separate service, or yes. what's the story with Docker?
1: It, it um, uh, you get a, doc, a Docker Registry as well, mm-hmm. uh, but you, of course, you know, you can. I actually mostly use Docker Hub because it's also accessible yeah. for. Well, actually, it would not matter. <laughs> I just started with Docker Hub, and that's yeah. that's the reason I think. But yeah, you can um, use its uh, ICR. Um, yes, dot That's the uh, the short uh, version of yeah of the registry.
0: Because I think in Amazon case you have to you know um, book the Docker registry service, mm-hmm. private Docker registry, and then you can have the Docker forgot, uh Elastic Container Service ECS or AKS. Okay. And in Oracle case it was actually nicer because you get everything uh, at once. So you got you know mm-hmm. the the docker and the and yeah the docker service and the docker registry was in one thing so my question was if you use ibm's eks or elastic ibm service and ibm kubernetes service this is iaks yeah. yes uh, yeah, either you got lot, you know yeah. the Docker yeah. registry out of the box, or you have to book another IBM service, which is the Docker registry. You know that?
1: Um, yes, so potential. I mean, technically, it is another service, but if you know, if you do the cloud sign up, it's just um, it's the same command line interface with uh, ah, cool. IBM Cloud, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's the same look and feel. Okay, cool. So I think technically it's a different service, but you know, who cares? It's just like a um, like another registry, uh, mm-hmm. and that's also publicly available. It's like Docker Hub, just um, you know, hosted by IBM, and then it includes with your Kubernetes cluster if you're you know the same user and the same. I think they're also called namespaces or something, and then you just you know it just works, which is really nice, right? So if you want to use that, then it's just there. Um, or you know, of course, if you have your own private um, server or a Docker hub, that's the, of course that always uh, works as well.
0: Okay, perfect. So um, um,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, what I wanted to ask you actually um, about Java. So it, um, have you had a chance to look into OpenJ9 like an alternative um, JDK, or did you use it sometimes? Yeah, I use sometimes, and it's uh,
0: faster. So it is mm-hmm. uh, a little bit faster. So um, I like that. Um, I used uh, recently a lot of uh, the stock OpenJDK because you know this is the 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 base. But uh, mm-hmm. I like a- actually the Gen9, and I thought about using a little bit more. The only problem is uh, people would probably think that uh, I'm using some proprietary Gen9 features. So uh, I try to avoid it because of the experience with Quarkus and GraalVM. You know, so if I if they already okay. see that I use by accident the GraalVM, which in Java mode they already suspect, you know, Quarkus is that fast because of some magic. So what I tend mm, to okay. do is, you know, stock JDKs in all my presentation presentations, and uh, then they see that is worst possible, you know, experience, and they always can optimize that. But um, I was p- uh, pleasantly surprised with the OpenJ9, and this is also easily accessible, so you can just mm-hmm. uh, download and, and and just use it. And okay. uh, I will experiment more on my block engine. I will probably, you know, try it with uh, the J9, and as mm-hmm. well on doclands I will put alternative yeah. image with J9 and see. Then out of the box, I have the direct comparison but uh, right. for my public you know uh, hacks on youtube i try to use the the base JDK, so there are no questions left because you get st- st- you know it has to be simple and, mm. and obvious and if i try you no know, to, to tweak too much so um, I, I don't know whether you know I, back then i had a windows machine mm-hmm. windows vista before i had mac or like a 2008 or whatever oh, really? 12, yeah yeah
1: Not I, XP or a 7 but the... i started
0: with uh, it was 2000 and then had everything mm-hmm. on windows and then my ibm thinkpad broke and I couldn't get a replacement, so I, I bought the Mac. This is the story. But before then, I, I used a lot of presentation with my Windows. people suspect mm-hmm. me that I have like a magical machine because it was so fast. And the reason was, I just you know my, 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 my applications were so small and, and thin. And, and it was that fast. So uh, this mm-hmm. is the same. So if I would back then use JRebel or whatever, they would say, okay, this is so fast because I'm using JRebel, but i use nothing. Right. So there were no arguments left. So this is the reason. But I think J9 is one of the nicest, I, th- I would say. And this is highly optimized. I know that because they, 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 they work a lot uh, on that already. And it was, yes. uh, I think, backported even from the, the mainframes and everything. So it's highly optimized uh, uh, JVM from IBM.
1: Uh, Yes. And it's interesting what you uh, said about Quarkus because I actually, um, I use it for like the opposite reason. I use it with Quarkus to show, okay, you know, Quarkus is not just about native. You can even swap it, you know, the JVM. It is just Java, right? So it doesn't matter if you run it with OpenJDK. It's not also married to OpenJDK. You can, you know, it's just, it runs on Java and then whatever you do. And I use OpenJ9 because, you know, it's, it's faster. And uh, Nicholas, you, um, uh, you know. interviewed him uh, in the past, yes. Um, he wrote um, just like some small comparison blog post with some numbers okay. um, of-, of Quarkus. And it's interesting to see, you know, uh, if you have on the website, they have, like, the, the native mode and then the um, JVM mode. And actually, the OpenJ9 um, mode is, like, in, in the middle. So if you just don't do anything else, you just swap the JVM, you al- already get, like, half of the memory uh, footprint compared to OpenJDK. Cool. Which I think is, is you know, is, for me, that's kind of, like, the best of both worlds because, it's you know, it doesn't change anything from a JVA perspective. What we talked about before, you get all the, you know, like, uh, Quarkers um like advantages to run it on a JVM mode but still you get a little bit more of um you know consumption of saving um which doesn't involve you know an, another some some other effort because you literally just swap the JVM
0: yeah this is actually good to know so i will uh, if you yeah. can provide me the link or i will look it up mm-hmm. in, in niklas blog and and put it to the show notes because this could be a mm-hmm. good great option for actual my 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 commercial projects um because mm-hmm. uh, then it doesn't matter right we use whatever is fast and exactly. Um, and I have some clients with, IBM, yeah. with Red Hat background, so it would be easy mm-hmm. to convince them to use IBM because it is almost the same company. And um, yeah, so that's is and, and, and some numbers are always good. I just show, saw that it's faster, but I, I didn't have uh, any you know, formal formal um, mm-hmm. comparison.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting. actually, I so what I did, I, I swapped my you know like normal Java on which I run all of my you know like hacky projects and everything to OpenJ9, and I never had like any issues. I mean, I mostly don't even you know noticed or whatever. And now it's just uh, running, um, yeah, on OpenJ9. Like if I run Java or Java C on the command line, that's the J9 perspective, and then right. you know just works. And it's I know it saves me some resources, but uh, you know whatever. It's, so anything what else
0: you would like to mention your block or whatever? So your work block.
1: Not really. Um, yeah, what else I do right now? is basically that—just you know, creating some uh, more content. I do a lot of uh, on Quarkus uh, yeah. on the moment, and then just you know, enterprise stuff in general. I do a little bit more of um, uh, developer productivity, also where um, I, I interviewed you for my uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just an interesting topic. That's what I, what I spend a little bit of time on. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than that, yeah, that's just continuing to do interesting, interesting stuff. And so what's your l-
0: your links, Twitter, blog, and whatever.
1: Yeah, um, Twitter is uh, Dashner S, mm-hmm. which is a confusing part because last name first, Dashner and sure. S. And then um, my website is also linked there. It's sebastian-dashner.com. And there you find everything, you know, like from blog and newsletter and whatever. And um, uh, and also Twitter, I usually just cross-post everything. Just that, yeah. that is a good uh, entry point to find me.
0: Yeah, cool. Thank you. So I will re-invite you back and talk, you know, about your clients because it's always, you know, uh, interesting for me to sync and see what the others yeah. are doing. And yeah, thank you. And um, have fun. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Bye.